Mystics. Hey, hey Mystics. Mystics. It's your girl, Andrea. And I'm Shelby Valentine. Welcome to Mystic Medicine, where we have conscious conversations around healing, expansion, and the messy reality of being human. This podcast supports your ascension, discussing everything spirituality, energetics, manifestation, shamanism, and so much more. Join our tribe of mystics in healing the collective and serving medicine, one One podcast podcast at at a time. time. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Mystic Medicine. As always, this is your girl, Andrea. And this is Shelby Valentine. And today we have a super fun special guest here to serve her medicine to you guys. Her name is Ashley Waverly. She's a very dear personal friend to Shelby and myself, as well as a very, very potent and amazing, amazing psychic healer medium, like all of the above. I don't know if she addresses herself that way, but that's how she's perceived. That's what we think you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and today we're going to be talking about a subject that a lot of people and cultures, including ours, shy away from. And, you know, in our opinion, kind of have the conversation a little wrong or a little wonky yeah. or a little one-sided. Or, yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about death today. And, um, yeah, we're super excited to have Ashley here, who is a death walker and an ancestral lineage healing steward. So proud of myself for (laughs) (laughs) And um, I have done ancestral work with Ashley and am doing it because it's a process. Um, But, yeah, she's super powerful. She's super tapped in. Never have I ever met anyone who can speak to the dead as easily as Ashley. Um, So welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just here talking about death. Yep. Yep, just another sunny sunny day in Sedona. Just another day for Ashley. Yeah. Talking yeah. about death. Yeah. Yeah. I am curious to hear, have you always been so comfortable with the subject of death? No, certainly not. This has definitely been a, I kind of call it like a lightning strike in my life where I had a moment, I had like a spiritual awakening moment and it was just very clear. I mean, this was not something I chose. This was something that was... Um, Maybe you could say gifted to me. Maybe you could say mandated to me. Um, but my my ancestors were like, oh, you're a death walker. Mm. Um, here's what that means, which I'm still learning. It's definitely like an unfolding process. But mostly it means committing my life to the dead and dying, mm. which looks a lot of different ways. So there's the ancestral lineage healing piece that we that we talk a lot about. So I'm in uh, practitioner training with Dr. Daniel Four and the Ancestral Medicine Network. And that also looks like death doulaing, which is like a training on the horizon. And just a lot of time talking about death with people and making it less scary. Mm. Is death dueling when you like walk people through their transition? So you're there as they're transitioning out? Yeah, it can mean a few different things, but it generally is like a spiritual guide as you are actively passing. Um, Or it can look like guiding, just sort of like leading even well folks through how they would kind of want their death to look. Like, is there any like particular like rituals or how do they want to be buried or how do they want to be remembered? Kind of like tying up all the loose ends you could tie up before it happens. But yes, also like if one is in a state where they're they know they're going to die perhaps generally it's like a sickness um it would be like a spiritual kind of advisor by their side the whole time to like 
whatever whatever they might need. It's not it doesn't involve medical care, so there's no uh, that that's a different um, yeah. sacred yeah. profession. But yeah, it's like the the bedside holding holding a light, holding a candle while they pass to the other side. Mm. That's dense. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that our culture and people in general in the Western world are so afraid of of death? You mm-hmm. know, I think that's like the universal fear. You mm-hmm. know, fear of dying. Why mm-hmm. Why is that our main fear? Because we've been so far removed from it. So for most of time, up until the last maybe only a couple hundred years, when people died, they died in your house, right? So your grandparents your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your siblings, your parents, whoever you knew when they were about to die, they died in their homes. Mm. Whether it be however they died and whenever they died, it was it was done at the home and it was done in community. And so there was just a lot more interaction with it. And also, of course, before there's been all this medical intervention that has allowed certain things to not be as deadly as they once were, there was just, yeah, there was just a lot more interaction with death with now like hospitals and medical intervention and nursing homes and just, we think we can avoid it if it's not, because it's not right in front of us. Mm -hmm. So because it's so unknown and because we just don't have as much interaction with it as we once did, it's this like really scary abyss. Mm. Yeah, I think it also has something to do with just how detached we are from living spiritual lives. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like if there is, if we were in a society where it was just normal to think of consciousness as never ending, then the conversation would be so much different. It would be far less grim. It would be far less like, this is the definitive end of all good things. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So today, yeah, I feel like I just (laughs) prefaced by, there's going to be a lot more I'm going to leave you both and everyone with a lot more questions and answers. I'm not really here to, like, answer many questions about death or, you know, like, kind of help you arrive at any answers, but just, like, what are the questions about it? People get so kind of, like, um, shut down when even thinking about it, so it's just kind of, like, poking, making some openings to kind of start to, like, let let the let your contemplation and, and conversation flow with with death. Um, and of course everyone likes everything to be like neat and tidy and simple and totally understood so they can be totally in control and death is not like that <laughs> for what it's worth life is not like that either and there's you know there's like a meme around folks in this community of living folks that interact with the dead and dying that talking about death doesn't make you die in the same way that talking about sex doesn't make you pregnant. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, again, we'll just like, no one's dying because I'm a death walker. I don't like make people die. It's not like that dark and witchy where mm-hmm. I can like make you die or not make you die. No, that's And you're not the Grim Reaper. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not the Grim Reaper. <laughs> I certainly don't have that ability. Thank goodness. Yeah. And I think that the beautiful mirror for thinking about death or not thinking about death is birth and so if a woman and i'm going to use gender terms very heavy handedly here respect all expressions there but when a woman is pregnant and if she chooses to not think about or read about or watch or learn anything about birth or the birthing process 
it's gonna be no less painful and surprising and beautiful and terrible and messy and life-changing as for a woman that has spent maybe her whole life immersed in the mysteries of birth and she's like been at a bunch of births and she's like seen it happen Mm. but that second woman is probably gonna have an easier time like finding her bearings understanding her experience in like a greater context which is going to lead to generally a perhaps more easeful integration of the entire process Mm. so the same thing with death you can like never think about it but it's it's still gonna happen to you (laughs) and to everyone you know and it's still gonna be this like really huge big life-changing thing yeah and you can spend a lot of time thinking about it and of course that doesn't make any of this less painful or less shocking or less life-changing there just feels like there's a little more ground to stand on when it does happen either for you or for loved ones Mm. what would you say to someone who is at the point where they're like I'm just gonna not think about it and I know that I'm gonna like live a long life like I'm just like not gonna think about it until I get there we just don't know when we're gonna get there right yeah we just don't know when we're gonna get there and so again it's it's this like false sense of control if I don't think about me dying if I don't think about my family dying if I don't think about loved ones dying then no one's gonna die Mm. and then whenever when inevitably life and death happens you're just really beyond again you know the grief and the shock of it then you're just like well now what Mm. like there's no you kind of you just you risk really floating off kind of the deep end into this like abyss when there's kind of nothing to grab onto in a sense and so yeah I think you know this cornerstone of western culture specifically and you know modern culture is this Mm, kind of obsession with potential and with length of time as a metric of success Mm. so relationships have to be long to be successful careers Mm. have to be long to be successful even like vacations and breaks from careers have to be long to be like good or worth it right um life has to be long to be worth it this is like a very common you know it's in the psyche that's what we it's what we think even if it's even if it's unspoken and, you know, if, if one dies any other way than, like, peacefully in their sleep when they're 120, surrounded by their great-grandchildren and children, yeah. it's wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But we rarely get the fantasy good death. Some people do. Absolutely. Most people don't. And so, you know, again, to start kind of, like, get the, get the thoughts flowing here and just kind of, like, expand a little more... There's a few different, like, axes that we can plot death on. So there's when, how, and speed of death. So you can die when you've only been incarnated for a small number of years, or even weeks or months, or for, like, a large number of years for humans, like, 94 years, right? And then, and without dwelling too much here, you can die really suddenly, or you can die really slowly, And you can die really violently, or you can die really peacefully. And then, you know, there there could be also this, like, layer of nuance of you could be conscious or unconscious. And Mm -hmm. that can mean, like, medically, or, like, some sort of, like, spiritual achievement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's all these different, you know, not to be so reductive about it, but there's all these different kind of plot points where you can plot a death. And there's no pattern. There is absolutely zero correlation. It's not that the young only die violently and suddenly and unconsciously and the, di- the old 
only die like peacefully and slowly and very consciously like it it it, it, it's everything like it's super it's super messy and none of these combinations is more desirable because the result is a hundred percent death which as an alive person is really scary. <laughs> but the this, most undesirable. Yeah, exactly. But 10 this, out of 10 do not recommend. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But like the success rate of death is 100%. Right. So there is no like, like we said, this like fantasy death mm. or this like good or right or wrong or, you know, aligned or unaligned way to die. It's really this invitation to like let go of that. Mm. Let go of that because it's probably not going to happen. And then that's just going to be disappointment. <laughs> Do you believe that our souls choose when we die? Or are there just so many different timelines and possibilities? So, you know, tenderly and with caution to sort of, you know, nod to senseless or like acutely violent or traumatic deaths without any indication that I know everything or even... <laughs> a fraction of everything but to begin to peel back the layers that death is a thing that happens to individuals within a relational network so we as humans exist within bigger patterns and forces not all of which are benevolent of course like not all of which are inherently good and when this larger system that we exist in is trying to work through things that are really heavy and challenging and com- and like complex. There are a lot of individual lives that get swallowed up into that. Mm-hmm. So there is just so many unseen forces and timelines at play. Absolutely. There's definitely ancestral patterns and uh, we'll call it like plans maybe. And those can vary with ease get changed Mm. due to like something else outside of of like human energy if somebody is atheistic Mm -hmm. how do how can they take some of this perspective or can they is there a way for someone who doesn't believe in a higher power is there a way for them to like open up some pathways to make death less scary Mm mm-hmm so it's it's interesting like again it's this really new modern thought that when i die it's over like it's this very narcissistic thing of it's just me and when i die it ends and that's it because that's how i want it to be i don't want to have to hold that there's something bigger i don't have to hold that my consciousness continues in some way and the you know, I invite if that if that is if you're listening and that's kind of like where where you're at, where you're like, no, and I'm dead, it's done, and that's it, and that's that's maybe that's what is the scariest thing, or maybe that keeps it less scary, mm-hmm. because then this unknown, you you think you know it, you're like, no, it's just black, it's over. Um, this is something my teacher, Dr. Daniel Forer, talks a lot about, but, um, in every corner of the globe, in every civilization that has been around there's these like cross-cultural fundamentals about the dead and it's like five to six bullet points right so and and this you know this all emerged pre-global communication right this is like now we have the internet so like information spreads fast yeah there's kind of like hive mind effect but these these principles are like are present everywhere and so there's like you know room for the magic and and wonder of how 
we all have sort of arrived at this at these same points. And so these sort of main cross-cultural ways of thinking about death is that something continues, like some part of consciousness continues. Whatever that means, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but something continues. The second one is that not all of the dead are equally well, just like not all of the living are equally as well. So there's some ghosts. Those are dead people that are not well in their spirit. Um, The third principle is that the living and the dead can communicate with each other. This can appear in many, many ways. It can be like, you know, like absolutely visual. (laughs) That's my grandma. She appeared in a column of light in the kitchen on Thanksgiving. That happens, sure. You can actually like audibly hear (laughs) things more common. It's like synchronicities. It's like, oh, there's always a cardinal Mm -hmm. that's my that's my grandma Mm -hmm. or like this song follows me around that's my that's my mom Mm -hmm. you know like or in dreams right like the dead talk to us in dreams a lot more um than maybe we think or remember Mm -hmm. (laughs) um the fourth is that the dead can change again just like the living can so we talk about these unwell dead through ritual repair work which is a lot of this ancestral lineage healing process um and there's other ways but through ritual repair work they can heal heal their spirits either themselves or through loving family members kind of also like having divinations on their behalf um and and reverence on their behalf and so you can be you know you can have a death that was really traumatic and shocking and confusing and go through this process where you become fully ancestralized and you're well and you're bright and you're seated on this other side in a really, <laughs> I don't want to say grounded way, but <laughs> a very um, like specific way. Um, and then the, the last of these cross-cultural points is that there's a lot of influence and impact between the living and the dead. So again, this kind of goes through all, all the things where like there is communication, one, both can change, so those are that's kind of like the framework that I would invite folks that are really hell-bent on saying there's absolutely nothing else to, to kind of explore, to kind of pick either where they're living now and going back to the indigenous folks there and kind of seeing what their thoughts of, of death and dying were, or just if, if they happen to know their lineage, kind of going back as far and to kind of see in that, in that part of the world what, what of this is, was alive for their people. Hmm. I want to bring in something that I thought was really interesting. I was listening to a podcast. It might have been like Sean Stevenson because he's king. But anyways, he was talking about how a dead body loses weight Mm -hmm. as soon as Mm -hmm. it dies. Mm -hmm. And it like Mm -hmm. it's like two pounds, Mm -hmm. but it instantly loses the soul. soul. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he didn't call it the soul, but he was like, you know, something changes. Also, on an alchemy perspective, energy never dies. It only transmutes and alchemizes. So we are like pure energy. It has to go somewhere. Something mm-hmm. has to mm-hmm. happen. So also another thing to yeah. like, we don't know. We don't actually know. Yeah. But like something has to happen. It has to go somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that the biggest, well, there's been so many like light bulb moments for me mm-hmm. working with you and learning about this and even reading his book, Daniel Force book, um, Ancestral Medicine, which is a good book, um, is that not every dead person is an ancestor. Yes. So people, you know, I have been in so many spaces. I hadn't really done this just because I wasn't really connecting at that mm-hmm, point, mm-hmm. but just calling in like ancestors yes. or like <laughs> dead people, like yeah. grandma, yeah. grandpa. And 
I like intuitively knew like not to call in my mm-hmm. like a few mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna name but like mm-hmm. a few like mm-hmm. relatives and I would just hear everyone like calling in like the mass of like mm-hmm. their entire like mm-hmm. people and I was just like well <laughs> my grandpa was not well mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I don't want to call him in yes and I would like feel that intrusion sometimes and I'd be like yeah no so like I knew that intuitively but I feel like in a lot of rituals and just kind of spaces it's it's just kind of something that you throw in, like calling in God, source, ancestors, and, you know, hearing you talk about, you know, you only want to be calling in the well and bright unless yes. you're intentionally connecting with the unhealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just, I mean, ancestors are people. And so I often, and, I, and I've said this to you before, but like when you have a party, you have a guest list. You don't just let anyone yeah. in your house or if you were to have a family reunion, you know, there still might be a guest list. And if there's not a guest list, it's like, okay, well, we know that so-and-so can't talk to so-and-so, you know, like, and ancestors are the same. So exactly, you're not, just because they're, just because they're your, your blood and bone doesn't necess- doesn't automatically make them safe to interact with. Mm-hmm. Whether you knew them incarnate or not, right? There could be 17 great-grandfathers back and you're like, ooh, that, that's a dangerous man. Mm-hmm. Still, even, you know, on the other side. And so, yeah, that's absolutely a really important distinction that can get really glossed over in a lot of spaces um, of when you do seek to to call on support or guidance or just connection with your ancestors to just, you know, li- literally out loud set the attention that you only want to connect with the well and bright ones and like kindly and lovingly asking everyone that kind of still needs help to just take two steps back out of your space. And even just that intention really does a world of difference in the in the energetics of it mm. can you describe the different types of ancestors for people mm-hmm. so there's ancestors of blood and bone and so this is like you know your actual biological family and you know there there, there could get to be some ugly um colonialist ideals when we focus too too much on blood and bone but it is a really helpful place to start um so there's your ancestors of blood and bone you know if you're an adoptive if, if you were adopted into a family and know absolutely nothing about your blood and bone you can still have complete successful full healings with your people of blood and bone the same as someone that knew 17 generations back every single name um, or you could just be like, no, it's my adoptive family. Like that's, that's where you choose to focus. There, there's a lot of options and nuance if, if that is your, if that, if that is your situation, there's also ancestors of place. And so, you know, in North America, this is, this is indigenous folks. It's also indigenous folks everywhere. Right. But in North America, it's a little more, it's a little edgier because it's all stolen land and it's not generally most people living like in the U S are not f- from the U.S. So there is this kind of um, whole other group of energies that's there that isn't your blood and bone, but they have all of this influence with you because they're dead. They're dead people. So they have the same influence as your ancestors of blood and bone. And so, you know, without elevating any culture too much, right, without like fetishizing a culture, there is ways you can honor and you know negotiate boundaries with the ancestors of place and then there's ancestors of you can call it like affinity or um like vocation so like all of the if you're a 
doctor, all of the doctors in the world, you know, like all of the dead doctors <laughs> are your ancestors of vocation, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're a teacher, right? Um, and then there's ancestors of culture. So, you know, George Washington, he's an ancestor of culture. <laughs> um, and there's good, it's, it's totally good and bad, right? It's like Marilyn Monroe, she's an ancestor of culture, right? And then there's a bunch of, you know, we don't need to spend time naming the, the bad ones, but they're, they're there too. And so again, um, there's this potential for a level of impact and communication with them, sort of depending on how your particular situation kind of overlaps with maybe where they lived, where their descendants are, you know, there's kind of like endless, endless variations. But generally in ancestral work, we do focus on blood and bone, Mm. like your family. Can you speak to ways to honor your ancestors of land for people who are interested in that? Mm -hmm. The first thing is learning the history of where you are and and learning it from as close to the source as you can. So it's, you know, if you're if you're in the US learning about like trying to seek out indigenous histories from indigenous people, not just like from a white person that did a lot of research and they think this is how it went. Um so yeah, find finding out the name, the name of like the tribe that was on the land you're at. It's not always super straightforward that it was just one. Obviously they have their own history. That's a long history, and so there's a lot of nuance within each you know, town, even, there could be. Um, And so it's kind of like introducing yourself and saying, hey, I'm Ashley, and I'm I'm currently living here, you know, I'm, this land is supporting me right now, and I'm really thankful, like, is there any offering that I can make? Mm. Um, Each culture had their own way of making offerings to the land, so if that feels aligned, you could maybe follow that template. It could even just be you just pour some fresh water on the ground when it's parched, you know, or you, um, you know, create a circle of stones or something, just some little use of some element. You could just maybe burn some incense and spread the ash outside, but some, it's generally more like an elemental offering. You don't need to like cook an elaborate meal and then like leave it outside. Um, but yeah, it's just forever that, forever walking that line of, of reverence and appropriation. I think that it's very present here in Sedona and places of... Yeah, that's why I was asking. Yeah, places of reverence for the indigenous community. So Sedona is, you know, the hospital and the place of initiation mm-hmm. for three different tribes, or it was. And so it's Do very... You talk about this? I, did we talk about this on the podcast already? Mm-mm. Okay, so Sedona is, or was, this, like safe land so the tribes lived around Sedona but no one owned Sedona and actually no one lived in Sedona and it was the hospital so people would come here to give birth they would come here to heal and it was a physical emotional spiritual mental healing I mean all of it and it was also a place of initiation so they would come and do ceremonies here and it was also a burial ground for a lot of them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know sacred rites of passage including death Mm-hmm. And in Sedona, it's so present, for me at least, I, I feel like it's really present that there's a lot of indigenous culture and a lot of indigenous, not just even culture, but like spirits, like a lot of indigenous soul mm-hmm. here in mm-hmm. Sedona. And 
we just like trampled through it but when I first got here I felt really cold to do like a ceremony around like hey I'm here Mm -hmm. thanks for receiving me and I didn't do it for like the first month and I could not fucking sleep and I could not be in Sedona without getting like panic attacks and anxiety Mm -hmm. and I think it was just my own like needing to ground in with with her and like let her know that like hey I'm here thanks for holding space and she has come through quite a bit in some of my own journeys just Mm -hmm. like as I'm Mm -hmm. journeying especially here when I'm in Sedona and journeying it's like she'll she'll come through as a very powerful like this is where people come to have these transformative experiences Mm -hmm. I also am gonna just like throw this out there in the future I think that Sedona eventually will go back to not having people live here i think that it's mm-hmm. it's so sacred and eventually i think people are gonna like recognize that this is a place you come to and leave mm-hmm. but who knows i might just be crazy love that yeah yeah and it's tricky too because i was just thinking about this you know i grew up in the midwest and i spent a lot of time on the east coast and yeah now i'm here in sedona where it is you know the vibe is different like it's a little more in your face the fact that this is stolen land yeah and the fact is that everywhere i've lived was stolen land so even growing up in the midwest no one did land acknowledgements like it just wasn't a thing it didn't feel as obvious there wasn't maybe visually even just at face value a lot of indigenous folks around but it doesn't make it any less Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah you know less and so I think that's a tricky thing too to try to like also begin to to chip away at a little by little of just like anywhere you are Canada US yeah. Mexico I mean most places South Africa right like it's it's stolen land and so even if it's not super obvious and even if the the name of the tribe you have to like google it three times and like you've never actually heard that word before um it's just as potent everywhere mm. do you feel like this might be a dumb question, but do you feel like the ancestors of the land are salty because it was stolen land? I mean, I would be. So I'm just, like, curious. Like, have you encountered them being mm. upset? Mm. I have definitely... I've, I've had some personal experiences, like, in... I just, like, feel it. <laughs> I, like, yeah. feel like, yeah. Yeah. There's, like, so much rage and It's grief. a lot of rage and grief. It's a lot of rage and grief. It's a lot of grief. I've had personal experiences in Journey where I've, you know, what was shown to me... I, I was in I was in Philadelphia and in a, in a sacred medicine space where I watched the, the chief of the indigenous tribe like bat like surrender to the white man and the amount of grief that filled my body in that moment was really unlike anything i'd ever felt and it wasn't violent and the in that moment because there had just been so much violence before it that that moment of surrender had to it was like the lot you know like okay i'm backing away Um, energetically and like karmically it doesn't surprise me that the U.S. is having this yeah all of this 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 this, all of it because I mean literally right like every piece of this land was taken through violence and exploitation and look at what we did to our brothers and sisters of color like Mm -hmm. well this this is a thing yeah covered in blood and it's a double genocide right and so this is the this is the other edgy thing about you know not wanting to again highlight one genocide more than the other but so there's there's, there is the indigenous stolen land piece and then there's the transatlantic slave trade yeah and so there is just this country was founded on a double genocide so there is every every inch of this continent yeah is is covered 
in in blood that was spilled in yeah. in vain in a lot of ways and so yeah energetically there's there's a lot happening around around that mm-hmm. for sure would you say that the same way that you would honor the land when you first get there would be a good way to almost like individual reparations right like i wasn't personally there i didn't personally do this and yet i benefit from living in this land at this time would you say that there's some benefit to also just connecting in that way or honoring them in that way Mm -hmm. yeah i think just saying it out loud of like i'm i'm here like this land is supporting me and like how how can i begin to make this relationship feel more like co-created like more like how can how can I bring reciprocity to this relationship and so a lot of it is just is knowing the history even and you know like sure know the like try to learn the history but it's like learn the learn the other beings that are here like what are the plants that are here what are the animals that are here what is the the weather patterns that make this that make the place you are like the place where you are Mm. that's another kind of more tangible way of of honoring where you are is like really understanding the like larger than human web of kin Mm. that also is indigenous to that place or or maybe not right there's a lot there can be a lot of invasive things that that also have a lot of lessons to to teach us as well Mm -hmm. can we give a a little quick hack for that because you just taught me this and I was like blown away yes you have an iPhone yes and you take a picture of a plant or a tree and you can swipe up on the picture and it'll give you like look up plant and it'll search the image and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I've been doing this on my hike it's no you don't need a special app it's that's just, amazing. Yeah, it's the iPhone. And I'll say... It's the iPhone. It's the iPhone. It's the iPhone. <laughs> maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, maybe Not you have. Not sponsored, although Apple, you want to sponsor us. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, and I find that with flowers, it's, like, almost 100% accurate. And I find with, like, um, trees or bushes or shrubs, the accuracy kind of waxes and wanes maybe, like, 75 to 80%. But it at least kind of, like, sets you in the right direction, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's awesome. a good hack. But yeah, Sedona, as, yeah, as we talk about, like, being a place, this, like, really sacred place of, of ritual and of healing and of, and of transition, and I think that's another invitation for folks to start thinking about death as a rite of passage, mm-hmm. which is, like, one of the only rite of passages we're all guaranteed, right? It's, like, birth and death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every other kind of point that one might have in their life isn't necessary, you know marriage children jobs whatever that that kind of comes and goes but birth and death are these points these these like rites of passage you know it, it, this has a lot to do with like where where are you at where are you headed what stays what goes how do we as as allies to whoever you're in relation of who is dying like how do we view what they're going through as a really big rite of passage and how do we kind of like hold hold the framework for that and rites of passage by their very nature are confusing and intense and messy and often disorganized and and all of these kinds of things and I have a teacher that always says it wouldn't be an initiation unless it was messy (laughs) or confusing um (laughs) and so if we, if we have, you know, as a principle to guide us through this rite of passage, it's asking 
for the outcome of this person to become a loving and wise seated ancestor. So it's, you know, when you're sitting with someone who maybe knows they're dying, maybe you know they're dying, whatever kind of level of knowledge there is around what is like actually happening. And even just like when you're sitting at the dinner table tomorrow, you know, just like really holding, holding these people in your life and, and you like seeing them in a really radiant and whole and complete state after death, like holding that prayer for everyone, you know, at conscious moments throughout, throughout your life right? It can be like once a year, you just sit there for 20 minutes and everyone in your life, you, you just hold this prayer for a really radiant, well, bright transition to, to becoming an ancestor. And, and in that place, it's like what, what needs to happen in the moments around death to really like support that outcome. And it's not always clear and it's not always straightforward, um, but that can just kind of be like this guiding principle. Hmm. In the way that we talk about death and the way that it's portrayed like on in the media, there's the idea, like you talked about, that lives are cut short. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And it's like, how can there be a God if lives are cut short? Yeah. 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 The, you know, once the grief or shock or, you know, these initial emotions come through, the first words so many people say is too soon. Too soon, right? Whether it's a celebrity, whether if it's a parent whether if it's a child, whether if it's a pet, it's too soon. And they pass at the wrong time. That's what that means. Like, if this was the wrong time for someone to die. And it's like, who's ta- who? where did this come from? Like, again, this, like, length as a metric of success. And, you know, we're all here for a certain number of days, a certain number of years, and above and beyond that is this mystery that, that we can't conceive. Um, but Stephen Jenkinson, who is someone that I highly recommend if, if this topic is, is not completely repelling you <laughs> to look into his work around this, to, to like deepen into the topic. But he has a beautiful way of pressing into this notion of when is a life fully lived? And, and what does that mean? And all of the, the nuance that we want to ignore around that, right? And so he, he says something like, you know, when, when someone to, was to die young, let's say like eight years old, the common thought beyond the other, the utter devastation and grief of that reality is they didn't, get, they didn't get to live a full life. And so he, he unpacks that a bit of like, what are they missing out on? Like having kids, hitting puberty, paying bills, seeing their parents as equals. And he's like, okay, some of those things suck. Like some <laughs> of those things are hard. Like some of those things come with a lot of pain. And so you know, there, there is this, there's this difference in missing out and simply not experiencing. Hmm. And so, you know, there's a lots of things that a 97 year old hasn't experienced. That doesn't mean their life isn't full. Right. And, you know, to kind of focus maybe on the, the, this one end of the spectrum, there's so many things that children have access to that haven't been, like, beaten out of them or, like, they're not too jaded out of, you know, or, like, conditioned out of. They get to exist in this really beautiful, pure state. And so if one's whole life is able to exist in this really beautiful, pure state, how can that be wrong? Hmm. Again, I mean, this isn't, this is absolutely not discounting the pain and and the grief that is always present with death 
but it's just kind of asking to really like press into that like what what is a full life and like what it what does it mean you know there's no such thing as as too soon it's just trying to like sit with what is and kind of honor the life that that there was there's a death a death walker a death doula teacher um matthew dwyer who i've learned from Mm -hmm. and he talks about how death and grief no grief and guilt yes are inextricably linked can you speak to that what do you think about that I think that grief is so I know, not I think I know that in order to actually become ancestralized people have to grieve you mm. they're ha- like um, there's a few teachers Maladoma Somme talks about this Martine Prechtel talks about this we can we can put their links in the in the show notes but there's there's this there's this line in his book that says like the tears of the living fill the river to bring you to the other side. It's so beautiful. And so it's like, all of this to say, like, when someone dies, grieve them. Grieve them. Who, you know, don't, don't grieve every dying person. You don't need to, like, only grief is now your job. No. But when someone you love dies, fucking grieve them. Spend, spend as much, spend the rest of your life grieving them. You know, and that can look like crying, it can look like praying, it can look like somatic release, it can look a lot of different ways, but definitely grieve them. Like, that, that is how you know a life is worth lived, is if there are people grieving your loss. This also feels like an invitation to feel alive, to, like, live your life consciously Absolutely. and be aware um, that you're present here, that you have community now, that you have partnerships and situations where you're like this is this is my reality and I don't know when the next time I'm gonna see Shelby is right like yeah this this could be the last time and so it's it's really feeling like an invitation to fully embody our humanity and live kind of like children absolutely I mean that's what a lot of spiritual people try to do right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) enlightenment um No, I shouldn't say try to do that. Sounds very reductive. (laughs) But a lot of, you know, there's a lot of effort on adults to get back to that childlike state. Mm -hmm, And that really is such a beautiful way to live. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, it's not to be scared. Everyone's going to die. Yeah, we're all going to die. We know that. We've always known that. That's not news. I'm not the first person to tell you that. Mm -hmm. But so like, what is, how does that change things? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. How does that change things? Like, are you, who are you going to have dinner with tonight? Right. What are you going to, how are you going to spend your days? Yeah. Who, with who, doing what? Yeah. Yeah. Worried about what? Yeah. Thinking about what? Spending time and energy on what? It's definitely an invitation to worry less about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like, the more you think about death, actually, the less you worry about most things, Mm -hmm. including death. (laughs) Can I share a stupid story? Yeah. Yeah. So, I went um, skydiving when I was, like... I don't know, maybe 2021. 20, I was drinking alcohol, so I was over 21. Anyways, I my life changed completely after this experience, and it seems stupid because it's like, oh, yeah, you pay 300 bucks to jump out of a plane. But in that moment of free-falling, my body did not know anything exactly. other than I'm absolutely going to die, and this is it. Like, this mm. is where it mm. happens. And so even just getting to experience eight seconds of free falling, Mm -hmm. when I got down to the land, it just like, 
it was like invigorating for the next like yeah. two years. I was like, I fucking survived jumping out of a plane. Uh, I can do anything. Yeah, and it amazing. sounds stupid, but it was like genuinely life changing because my body didn't know the difference. My body was like, yeah, we're going to die. This is it. This is how we go. Yeah. So just throwing it out there. Maybe you need to jump out of a plane if this isn't hitting home. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. See how your body feels. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And if this, if you're listening in a place and you're like so activated and you're like on the edge of a panic attack or you're in tears, I mean, that's good. Turn it off. <laughs> no, don't turn it off. No, don't turn it off. Bring it back. Yeah, bring it back down. But like, that's good. That means like you're like alive and you're feeling your feelings and it's bringing things up. Like that, mm-hmm. that's, that's not um, necessarily a bad thing, but to ground all of this, to ground yourself and even just to start to notice more if, if all of these, you're like, I don't want to think about death in this human way go outside like spend spend time in nature there is constant death and rebirth cycles Mm. and so you know we talk about this distance from death and that's why so many of us are afraid of it and so i'm not suggesting you need to go be like a hospice volunteer but go walk outside you know and right now in this moment in the northern hemisphere it's it's autumn and so there's a lot of like death and decay naturally outside right and the change of like um, in plants and the change of seasons. And so just spend time looking at that and how, you know, the environment is reacting to that. What, how much life is coming from in and around the death, right? They're completely linked. They're always linked. And so start there. If it feels like, where the fuck do I start with all of this without being completely overwhelmed, go for a walk outside. Beautiful. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Anything that you're feeling called to share? You know, kind of breathe through it. But I do, you know, the kind of part of the point of this is to feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. to feel a little prickly, to feel a little thorny, to maybe feel a little anxious. So if any of those things are happening, just know that that is kind of by design, Mm -hmm. not by anything like wrong. Mm. Um... And yeah, we'll leave, I mentioned, you know, we mentioned a lot of things, so we'll, we'll be diligent in the, in the show notes about some teachers and some books that if any of this has piqued your interest, you can, you can look into, because I, none of this is original to me. Um, maybe it's the first time you're hearing a lot about it, but it's not, uh, it's just me kind of collecting a lot of things that I've learned from a lot of really wonderful people that have collected a lot of things that they've learned from a lot of really wonderful people. (laughs) We love it. And Shelby has worked with you. I have not. I am on the wait list. Yes. But you will be opening your books again in the next few months. So where can people find you to get on the wait list if they want to work with you through Ancestral Healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now you can just find me on Instagram. So it's at ashley.waverly. And we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, so the Ancestral Lineage Healing Process, and I use the framework developed by, as we mentioned, Dr. Daniel Four of Ancestral Medicine, I guide you through a series of guided meditations to come into relation with your ancestors of blood and bone. And so, you know, Ancestral Lineage Healing work is reconnecting with these ancestors that likely haven't been contacted by humans in like hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, and so it's, it's coming back into reconnection to them. It's fine tuning and fortifying your connection to them. I, I, I don't talk to them for you. I, I just hold space while, while you figure out what, what way of communication wants to happen best with your people. Um, and then there's some ritual steps that we do to just bring this vibrant healed energy from the most ancient ones all the way to you and, and beyond. And 
you know, why, why do it? Um, you know, at this point in society, we're really comfortable with the thought of like intergenerational trauma, you know, this trauma being passed down generation to generation. And we're also really comfortable with saying, oh, it runs in my family. This trait runs in my family, whether it's good or bad. Alcoholism runs in my family. Uh, the gift of playing piano runs in my family. And so this 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 ritual process kind of unknots any knots there might be in the line so that these burdens stop getting passed down and only the blessings get passed on. And so for most, again, in kind of like every corner of the globe, this is how this this reverence, this ritual process was just a part of everyday life. It wasn't exceptional. You don't need to have any sort of connection to any sort of like spiritual practice religious practice, cultural practice, like this is just, again, this cross-cultural thing, but it was just such a part of everyday life that has been stripped away due to all these terrible things we don't need to spend too much time on, but, you know, Catholicism, colonialism, etc., etc., this stripping, you know, assimilation, and so there's this backlog, there's this backlog, like that's why there's so many pressing, acute issues that we're facing personally and collectively, and this is one small way you know, through this ritual energetic exchange that we can begin to, like, unwind some of that, that trauma. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on Mystic Medicine and yeah. serving your medicine. Mm. <laughs> Great to be here. We love you so much. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> love you, Mama. <laughs> thank you for joining us for another medicine journey. Be sure to follow the podcast so you never miss an episode and share and tag us on Instagram at Mystic Medicine Tribe. If you loved this podcast, we invite you to leave us a review. Okay, Mystic, go serve your medicine.